Our second reading is from Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. There is therefore no now, con- now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done the, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the, righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the minds on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Well, it's lovely to be with you as always. I so enjoy coming to Christ Church Vienna. I love being a small part of a new age community like yours. You are a new age community, isn't that right? You're not? Definition. No, all right, I'm teasing you a little. You are not a new age, and anybody's here visiting, this is not a new age community in the sense of new age spirituality. I'm not poking fun at new age spirituality this morning, but this is a Christian church, just in case you're confused. However, I want to suggest to you this morning that as a Christian church, you are, in fact, a community of the new age. You are a community of the age to come. And we're going to look a little bit at Romans 8. And look a little bit at Paul's worldview to understand this shift that has happened between last week and this week. Last week you looked at Romans 7, and this week we're looking at Romans 8. And if um, the book of Romans, the letter to Romans, I should say really, is perhaps the Himalayas of Paul's theology. Romans is the height of Paul's understanding of what has been achieved in Jesus Christ. If that's true, Romans is the Himalayas, then chapters 7 and chapters 8 are Mount Everest. We're right, right in the crux of Paul's understanding of what has happened in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to have to spend a few minutes getting into his head, and we're going to see how Paul, as a first-century Jew, that's what he was, he was a first-century Jew, understood or had a worldview, if you like, that basically, and perhaps a little simplistically, but broke down into this. There is, or was, this present evil age that we are living in. 
So there is a present evil age, and then there is an age to come, when God himself would become present to us and would restore the world to the way it ought to be. The Jewish word for that would be shalom. Shalom, which you probably understand as peace, doesn't simply mean an absence of conflict. It means things being restored to the way they ought to be. And the shorthand in first century Judaism for that moment when things would be set right was the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, not a 24-hour period, but that moment when God would do what God had promised He would do. And that day of the Lord would be marked by two things. One, by judgment, God's restorative justice, which is both bad news and good news, followed by the life of shalom, the life where God had restored things to the original intent, characterized primarily by God's presence with us. So have you got that? That is the worldview, or the theological picture, if you will, that Paul carried in the head, in his head. We are living in a present evil age, then one day God will come and restore things. There is an age to come that is longed for. Can we have a little look at this slide? Next one, not that one, that one. Do you know who that is? Not Harry Kane. <laughs> that is the England World Cup winning soccer team in 1966. Bobby Moore holding the World Cup up in triumph. A glorious day. England gave the world the game of soccer, and in 1966, rightfully, the World Cup came home to England. Now, it's a little hard to understand, but you can substitute Washington Redskins or anything you want. But now, for 50 years, the English have lived in painful anticipation of the day when one day again, the World Cup would return to its rightful place. How will that ever happen? Oh, we really thought that maybe this year. We had hoped. Now, if you're very attentive, you will hear an echo of a lot of the language in the New Testament. We had hoped. Paul carried a similar hope. Not that England would win the Soccer World Cup, but he carried this almost intensely painful expectation, as did Israel. A frustrated sense of expectation. We can take that slide down. It's too painful. <laughs> and we read from the prophet Joel. Joel expresses this expectation of the coming of the day of the Lord. And we read in verse 30, a sense that when this day comes, there will be judgment. And the language here is symbolic language of God's judging, that is, sorting the world out. In verse 30, we read, And I will show wonders in heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is language of judgment. There is a hope that one day God will sort this world out. And when that wonderful day comes, 
Above all, it will be marked by God's presence with us. And we read also, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is the prophet Joel writing some four to five hundred years before Christ. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, the lowest of the low. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And for spirit, you can substitute the word God. I will pour myself out on all flesh. Now that is what Paul holds in his mind. That's his theological understanding. That's his worldview. So now, as we look at Romans 8, could it be, could it be that Paul sees in Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit that the day of the Lord has actually come? Not as Israel expected, but that's actually what Paul is working out. I think the answer to my question that I pose to myself is yes. That is exactly what Paul sees. Just very briefly a reminder, last week in Romans 7, you looked at this present evil age, characterized by slavery. Slavery in all its forms. The root cause of slavery, and I'm not talking about being a slave, but being captive to any number of things, is, in Paul's understanding, sin. S-I-N. Three-letter word with I in the middle. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul is describing for us, setting us out, setting out for us what it is like to live in this present evil age. You are not, as it were, in control. Something else is your master. You're stuck. You're caught. You do not have it in you to put things right. That's Romans 7. But now, Paul says, we're moving on in Jesus from the present evil age to the age to come that has already broken into this world in Jesus Christ and through the Spirit. And when we look at Romans 8, the first thing that Paul talks about, remember what we said the day of the Lord would bring? It would bring judgment and then shalom, right? That was the expectation. So in Romans 8, as we get to the peak of Everest and we tip over What's the first thing that Paul talks about? He talks about judgment. Therefore, he says, there is now no condemnation. There is now no judgment for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit has set you free. No more slavery. The Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, there's quite a lot of flesh in this. And it's a difficult um, word to translate well, because Paul uses it in different contexts in different ways. What it does not mean when you hear flesh is that this stuff, that my body, your body, is evil. 
He is not saying that your body or the physical world is in itself and of itself evil. And by implication, therefore, that the creation, another physical manifestation, if you will, is also evil. That's not what Paul is saying. What he means probably, almost certainly here, is when he talks about flesh, he's talking about the human condition. Our human condition, the way of the world. That's what you need to hear when you hear the word flesh. For God has done what the law, that's the law in the Old Testament, weakened by the human condition, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of the human condition, sinful flesh, and for sin. He condemned, he judged sin in the flesh. He brought, Jesus judged sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, things might be sorted out, put into their right place. For who in us who walk not according to the flesh, not according to the human condition, who walk not according to the way of the world, but according to the Spirit? This is language and wrestling with this extraordinary thought that Paul has had to modify his way of seeing the world. He's expecting God to come and to judge the world. He did not. Nobody expected that that judgment would come in a human being, a person, Jesus Christ. That judgment has now come, Paul says, and for any of us who are in Christ Jesus, the verdict is no longer guilty, not guilty. You have been set free. Okay, you might say then, well, if the judgment bit has come, what about the second part of the day of the Lord? Because doesn't that then usher in something of a new age? Shouldn't shalom then come? And that must have been a very pertinent question as Paul talked to predominantly Jewish believers who would have said, okay, Paul, you're saying that this judgment that we'd hoped for was going to come, but we don't see the shalom. Rome is still in charge. Israel is still living in semi-slavery. Where is this shalom? And Paul is going to answer it. Just as the judgment came in an unexpected way in the person of Jesus Christ, so the shalom also comes in an unexpected way. Not by the restoration of the promised land or a new physical temple, but in a new community indwelt by the Spirit. Can we go back to the England World Cup team? Do we have that slide? Nope, not that one. The one when they've lost. <laughs> That's it. Oh, it's so painful. It's so painful. That's Gareth Southgate, the manager. He was part of the 1990 team that got all the way to the semi-finals, and then they lost. And that's the World Cup team of this year. They got all the way to the semi-finals. He's now the manager. He was a player, and they lost. <laughs> this is an incredibly painful sense of why does history keep on repeating itself? Why can we not find an answer within ourselves to the problem? 
That is the human condition. And Paul says, well, because in Christ Jesus, judgment has come and you've been declared not guilty, you have been vindicated, now from outside of yourself, a new kind of life and living can come. Now you are able to live from a different place than eternal failure. How? By the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that brings the life of the age to come into this present age. So that even now, as a community, we can begin to live at least something of that life. We can take that down. This is um, a quote from a great teacher on the Holy Spirit. If you want some really good teaching on the Holy Spirit, why not go to the Roman Catholic Church, right? Not the first and most obvious association, but this is from the papal preacher, uh, the, the, the preacher to, the, to the, the Pope. He's preached to, I think, at least the last three popes. He's a man called Ranieri, Father Ranieri Cantalamessa. And he wrote a book called um, Sober Intoxication of the Spirit. I love that. Sober, in other words, is not totally out of control. Intoxication, it's kind of out of control of the Spirit. And he said this, The Holy Spirit, who is love in a pure state, love that you could not possibly find in the human condition in this world, love in a pure state, and the source of all love, is the only one that can breathe a soul into our withered humanity. It has to come from without. It cannot come from within. There are no resources in us. That's, in a way, the painful message of the gospel. There is nothing in us, nothing in you, nothing that can resolve the human condition. It has to come from without. And so now as you read on through Romans 8, what you start to see is Paul describing the change in the human condition that will come as a result of the Spirit. Let's look at verse 5. As we start to live in relationship or out of the Spirit, it's going to lead to a change in our minds. For those who live according to the flesh, according to the human condition, the way of the world, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Where can you find peace in the world? You're not going to find it in the world or in yourself, however hard you dig. But by the Spirit, we will know peace. We have um, one of my colleagues is working down in the Mosaic District. She's moved into an apartment and now works in Mum and Pop Coffee, the, the, the little Mum and Pop Coffee shop, as mission. That's what she's doing. And she met a young woman there who said, well, I used to be a Christian, but Jesus really hates me. Wow. Isn't that interesting? 
How do you get to that point? For the mind, Paul says in verse 7, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But that's not you, Paul says. You no longer live according to or following the human condition. You can begin now to live the life of the age to come. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if you read on through Romans 8, and I really recommend you do that, the Spirit is just everywhere. Nineteen times I counted Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit brings a change to our sense of identity, giving us that sense of belonging. In verse 14, Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, the old way, the human condition, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Imagine a world in which nobody was insecure about their identity. It'd be a bit different, wouldn't it? The Spirit moves us into God's will and purpose. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. By the Spirit, you can start to know what the will of God is in your life. That's the promise. And ultimately, extraordinarily, the life that has come by the Spirit guarantees our participation in eternal life, which is the life of the age to come. In verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also Give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Maybe you think this is some kind of crazy modern teaching. Maybe you've figured out that I'm slightly charismatic in my tendencies. So let me quote from a 4th century Christian, Basil the Great. You would like to hear from Basil the Great? Here we go. This is what he said. Have we got it up there? Yeah. What does the Spirit do? His works are ineffable in majesty and innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what extends beyond the ages? What did He do before creation began? How great are the graces He showered on creation? The Spirit was there right at the beginning, hovering over the waters. What power will he yield, wield in the age to come? He existed, he pre-existed, he coexisted with the Father and the Son before the ages. Even if you can imagine anything beyond the ages, you will discover that the Spirit is even further before. You are a community of the age to come. I know that in talking about the Holy Spirit, it's sometimes a little difficult thing um, to talk about because, you know, you're starting to think, oh, Lord, do we have to raise our hands in worship now? Not sure I want to do that. Do we have to become charismatics, a little bit Pentecostal? Do we have to, I don't know, 
Well, I don't know. What do you think? I think the answer is kind of yes and no. Not really. This is not about a particular form of Christianity. And I'm very aware that there's been a lot of abuse in the name of the Holy Spirit. There's been a lot of what you might call emotionalism, just whipping up a storm around or in the name of the Holy Spirit. But the more I look at the work of the Spirit, the more to me anyway, one thing becomes really clear, that the Holy Spirit is not kind of an option on the smorgasbord of Christian life. For some people who like that kind of thing, you know those folk, don't you? The ones that bang on and on about the Holy Spirit. It's right at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to live by the Spirit. To live out of a fundamentally different paradigm, living out the life of God the Father in this present evil age. Of course, it doesn't mean that life will be perfect. It's the life of the age of, to come being lived out in an evil age. And it's interesting that in Romans 8, you get some if language. If you live according to the flesh or if you live by the Spirit, it seems that even as Christians, we have a choice. Whether we live by the human condition, the way of the world, or by the Spirit. So no, you don't have to become a frothing at the mouth charismatic. You don't have to bark like a dog. I've seen some stuff. But there are things that we can do, practices, that the church have done really throughout the ages to open ourselves to the work of the Spirit. And if that's of interest to you, in the fall, my wife, who I think is here, I don't know, is she there? I don't know. She, there she is, is going to be doing a course on the work of the Spirit. I think it's something we need to learn about as a church. I do. To learn the practices of opening ourselves to the work of the Spirit. Because here's one thing, and I'll leave you with this thought. To live as a Christian who is open to the life of the Spirit is never boring. Let me just say that again. If you live as a Christian by the Spirit, it is never boring because God is always going ahead of us. And I love when we read from Joel because I love this. It's one of my sort of, I don't know, sits in my head, that the Spirit engages that sort of right brain part of us, our hopes, our dreams, our imaginations, and we read, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy by the Spirit. Your old men shall dream dreams. <laughs> I'm getting old, but I'm still dreaming dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Have you had a vision for your life, for this church, for your community, for your family recently? If not, ask the Spirit, Lord, come, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings glimpses into this present evil age of the age to come. Now, that sounds interesting to me. Shall we pray? And I invite you just where you are. You don't have to get up or stand up or do anything. But just as uh, Riley comes up, if he hasn't left the building, no, there he is. Just to take a moment, you may never have done this before. You may never have prayed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
You might want to just close your eyes so you're not distracted by anybody around you. And just open your hands like you're going to receive a gift. The scriptures talk about the Spirit as a gift of the Father. And I'm just going to pray for you, for Christ Church Vienna, for myself, one of the oldest prayers in the church. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, Father God, thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit so that we could know something of the very life of God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.